Welcome everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Level Up with Lilith. And today's guest is actually somebody that I've known for a long, long time. We went to college together. We crossed paths there and a couple of other times afterwards. And um, aside from working at some of the coolest companies from NASA's JPL to DreamWorks and Warner Brothers and, and all these great companies, she is currently the principal of marketing for Modern Animal. Uh, but what I would like to lean Katunian to do today is to give us what's happened since college because <laughs> it's been it's been a lot. I've seen you everywhere and I'm proud of you. Uh, and it's been such a nice change of pace to see somebody in in our caliber as a woman, as a young woman, mm. to keep going from amazing company to another amazing company and all the public speaking sessions that I've seen you do from TEDx. I know you've done that too. There's a lot. So why don't you give us like a little little background of what you've been up to in the last, let's say, 10 years? Yeah. You know, I just gave away our age, but, but <laughs> still. <laughs> and then yeah. we can go into the cool company you're working at now. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds great. Um, and that means a lot coming from you because I equally think those things of you. Um, so let's see. Since college, after graduating college, I ended up going to PwC um, and essentially worked there for three and a half years. Um, and I, I, I thought accounting was what I wanted to do. You and me both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we definitely have that in common. Um, but when I got into it, I was, I was really good at it. And, and the hours honestly didn't phase me as much as like most of like the, the attrition you sort of see with like public accounting firms. I think I started to realize like, is, is this really it? Like, it's starting to get a little bit more, it's starting to get very predictable in terms of my day to day. And I knew I was good with numbers. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do next? Like what would be my next move? And so my first goal was how do I get out of public accounting and how do I have, how do I like market myself to a company when accounting isn't the thing that I want to do? But and it's such a good job. But it's <laughs> such a, yes, it's such a good job. It's such a stable job. And I'm so thankful that, like, even if you take the transferable skills from accounting, um, being able to have good logic, being able to put things into layman's terms that people can understand, those are timeless transferable skills totally. that you use anywhere, regardless of your role. Um, and so I do, I kind of think that I got lucky where... I had a boss who did take a chance on me and was like, yeah, you're good with numbers. I guess you could be good at an advertising agency where you are essentially like analyzing content, what's working, what's not, what's driving sales, what's driving the results of campaigns. So I started there. So I was at that company. Eisenberg is like the full service agency. That's also where I worked with Talar. Um, uh, who now, you know, obviously works here as a, as a CMO. And um, after that, I basically was like, okay, what's the next challenge? Um, so after being there for four years, it was like, okay, I got to like jump into what's next. And um, at the time, influencer marketing was becoming very, very big. It was just starting to like disrupt and, and that sort of thing. And so um, I essentially was like, okay, uh, let me go to this influencer company where I can work and basically with the problem with influencers is there's no way of quantifying impact. 
you work with a content creator and you're like, great, at the end of the day, how many sales did they drive? Like, what, how much foot traffic did they, you know, provide? All these different things. And so the challenge was really interesting, which was build the technology that allows you to quantify the impact of influencers. And that's what I did for the last five years. And I ended up at Modern Animal because it, it's a really interesting challenge, which I'm sure we'll get into. But now I'm doing more of like the end-to-end -end marketing and overseeing the marketing function there and helping expand um, as we, we just opened up Texas and Dallas. So we're going to be expanding you know, nationwide pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, I have a lot of questions about <laughs> Modern Animal, but before we yeah. get to that, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, because you went from PwC, which yeah. is an amazing big public yeah. company, yeah. Uh, you know, accounting firm, and then you went to large companies yeah. public and private that are you know creating so much for the environment and for for entertainment purposes yeah. and you know like dreamworks is one example yeah. right so and then and then you went into new things like yeah. things where the industry is sprouting now and you have yeah. to do something so unique to get that industry up and running so those are very different perspectives tell me about your transition from those types of companies established corporate environment where yeah. you had the right training because people have been there for decades, right? Yeah. Um, to something where you had to create new. Yeah. No, that's a really good question. I've never really thought, I've never really thought about it that way. Um, the transition I think involves, like for me, um, and I didn't realize this until maybe five years ago, but I don't think I was consciously doing it at the time, but subconsciously I was sort of like picking up on the patterns of like, always knowing in myself that something is bound to change in the future or I'm going to want change at some point. And so I think for me, I just tend to invest in skills that I know will be non-negotiables no matter mm -hmm. where I go. Um, being able to communicate. So whether you know, you're doing that at a corporation or whether you're doing that at a startup, making people feel at ease when you're talking to them, I think that's like a really important skill. Like PwC taught me that. Right. Um, and like the, uh, there's other skills too, just in terms of like, how do you analyze something from a technical standpoint when a large data set is so overwhelming to you, where do you even begin? Well, it just starts with asking the right questions, regardless of the company that, you know, you work for. It's just, do you have a sense of curiosity in what you're doing and the challenge that you're trying to solve? So I think those things have helped me with the transition, whether it's been, because I, I've also like, if you like look at agency models too, you're like flipping through different types of clients. Like one hour you might be working on a mobile tech company like you know Uber, and then you might shift over to insurance like with State Farm. And so it's like two very different companies, very <laughs> different challenges, but the task switching, I think, becomes easier as you start to look at, like, what are all of the skills that I can start to optimize towards? I like that. Yeah. Would you say, speaking of skills, <laughs> I know there's the, you know, the transferable skills, yeah. the ones where you could take anywhere with you, yeah. even personally, it's so yeah. effective, right? Which is, like, you know, discipline, time management, and communication skills, and empathy, perspective, yeah. like, those things, I, I think, are golden when it comes to any kind of things that you decide to do in your life, but but then there is accounting and there's numbers and logic. Yeah. And I think that's also a very transferable totally. skill because it's just the way of thinking, right? Do you think that had you not 
done accounting, you would have been able to still use that analytical skill set and the business mindedness. I personally think even me giving accounting a try for a while, it was a long while, but still, yeah. like, yeah. I knew in my heart it just wasn't meant for me for long term because I love the business side of everything. But I don't know if I could have done this without that skill set. Mm. That's a good, really good question. I don't. I don't think, I can't think of like going back if I had to redo the major, if I had to redo all the internships. I don't know if, yeah, like the analytical side of things and being able to toggle between what are the guardrails that we're operating within and what can we do. Like, I think that's a special thing about accounting, right? Is that there's like certain rules and limitations that you have that you just have to be aware of. But at the same time, you have an objective. Right. Um, and so I don't know if there's like, I can't think of, and maybe I'm just not aware of like, I'm sure every major sort of has its equivalent, but I think that's what's what was special about accounting. I don't think I would have approached it the same way and it would have made me unique as a marketer or a strategy person or a data person if I didn't have that context of how do you force yourself to operate within limitations, but then also achieve a certain objective. Yeah, I like that. Okay, let's get to the fun topic. Okay. okay. Modern Animal. Let's yeah. tell, tell us about the company. Yeah. Um, I know you're making some really good moves there, and, and it's fairly new for you, I yeah. believe, right? The, yeah. the position. So tell us about the company. Tell us about what you're working on. And if you're not an animal lover, you can turn off the podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 70% of people in LA have pets. So yeah. we're probably, you know, we'll probably re be re reaching and pulling at the heartstrings of the majority here. Um, I. Yeah, I think I think you know this and if you like look back just at my experience, like I never approached accumulating experience of like, oh, I want to work here because they're, you know, they've got prestige or anything like that. I think it, it was always like the challenge mm -hmm. that attracted me more than the industry or the brand name. Um, and so I think what Modern Animal is, they are essentially an integrated veterinary network. So they have doctors and nurses, kind of similar to a lot of people who go to the vet, you know, when their pet is sick, they are essentially delivering high quality care. Um, when you walk into the clinics, it's beautifully designed and not just for aesthetic reasons, but it's designed with doctors and nurses in mind where it makes it a place that they actually wanna work in. Um, the clinic designs are essentially very much like an open floor plan so that it drives collaboration between the practitioners who are working, which in turn, the more collaboration you have between the people practicing care, the better you, the happier you are as a pet owner and of course as a pet. Um, so this is a space that I had accumulated zero experience <laughs> in. Um, even like looking back at the clients that I worked with at the, in the agency world, there is nothing, like there was nothing similar um, that I could like compare my experience to, to be like, oh yeah, I've, I've got this. Do you have pets? Um, no, I don't, <laughs> but I So literally zero experience. Yeah, literally <laughs> zero experience, but my pet experience involves always looking after other people's pets. So okay. friends know that I love dogs and stuff, so they'll always drop it off. My aunt has a very, very cute golden doodle who is just my own at this point. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I, I've been close to pets growing up, but don't have a pet of my own. Maybe I'll change that now. <laughs> um, and so the challenge I think with Modern Animal is really, 
inter the, the thing that really interested me about Modern Animal was essentially supply and demand. Um, if you are, I didn't know this, but it wasn't until I started to do research around the company, the veterinary experience has been, you know, terrible for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, veterinarians have the highest suicide rates, which I, I had no idea. Um, Why is that? The mental health struggles, um, the schooling, the, mm. the amount of debt that they have to go into on top of the long hours and um, also when you're dealing with pets who basically have a hard time communicating, this is what's wrong with me, um, you know, this is what I need solved, like all of those different things I think make it a challenge. That makes sense. Um, and so it's, it's led to burnout, it's led to struggles, and so when you think about a business like Modern Animal, um, it, it's both sides of it. It's how do you keep the supply side happy, which is the veterinarians and the nurses. And at the same time, from a consumer standpoint, how do you keep the pets healthy and the pet owners happy? Um, when you think about spending on something, like spending money on something, going to the vet and dropping hundreds of dollars is not what most people enjoy spending on. So the business challenge and like the marketing challenge and what I've really been tasked to do is um, obviously there's a wonderful service around it. We have thousands and thousands of members. There's 14 clinics. It's continuing to expand um, in terms of achieving profitability goals, all those different things. But essentially, like how do you keep the member side happy without compromising the well-being of the doctors. Right. So it's an absolute masterclass in operations, being able to keep the supply side happy while being able to drive demand and, and having a balanced perspective on the business throughout. Yeah. So so if I understand correctly, Modern Animal is like a subscription-based model, right? So you have your, your members are paying monthly. Yeah. Is that essentially their insurance as well? Yeah, so the way to look at it is it's um, it's a membership model in, in terms of you pay one yearly fee mm -hmm. and then you basically have uh, free exams. Like there's no mm. um, cost to basically coming in. And the, the reason why it was designed that way is because if you think about the barrier to care, like a lot of times people are like, no, I don't want to go to the vet. I don't know if this is that big of a deal. I don't want to have to pay hundred dollars uh, for an exam fee when they're going to tell me nothing's wrong and so how we've gotten aside that is if you create a membership system where they pay um, a 199 yearly fee um, they can basically that barrier to care becomes diminished because they're going to come in as soon as they feel something is wrong with their pet the other side to it is it helps us control the economics of how we deliver an experience. So a lot of times when people go to the vet, they're like, I'm in the waiting room or like, and I'm waiting for a really long time or the doctor doesn't know, you know, what, what's what I'm there for and all of these different things. So what we've done is control the economics of it, but then also being able to book through the app being able to essentially, uh, if 24-7, if in the middle of the night, you know, your pet has eaten chocolate and right. you have no idea what to do and you're in your PJs, it's like it, there's also these, um, it's, it's also like being able to use the app to be able to communicate instantly with a doctor or a nurse to be able to determine, okay, do I need to bring them in for an emergency visit or anything like that? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
how do you get clients? Like, I know brick and mortar has really changed because, yeah. you know, I, I'm glad you guys have the telehealth equivalent yeah. of, yeah. of vet care. Uh, but how do you, since you guys are opening up multiple locations, how are you marketing those locations to locals? Yeah, definitely. So up until now, um, because we we are a Cal, like we started very California based. Um, our first clinic was in West Hollywood, and then expanded to Pasadena. Now we're all the way in you know San Francisco. Uh, we're opening up Glendale next Monday actually. Nice. Uh, so they're going to be neighbors to you guys. Um, LA has been a very easy market to crack because of word of mouth. The experience had the pet owner experience has been so good that it's led to a lot of referrals and people just doing the marketing for us. In some of the other markets like um, San Francisco and stuff, I mean, it's essentially building a brand story around what we stand for and making our mission known that we're not just trying to essentially bring customers in the door. It's also creating awareness around how the practitioner, how the doctor, how the nurse feels, um, and that we're trying to solve both sides of the equation. Because if we care for the people who care for pets, the owner experience is very is is a lot more elevated. So using that as like our brand storyline, I mean, we've scaled across some of the newer markets, whether it be San Francisco, Dallas, um, and soon to be Austin as well, through the traditional, it starts with paid media first, but eventually it goes into more organic where you already have an existing community that's doing the marketing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do the facilities also have like, you know, I apologize for the ignorance, like dog hangout locations <laughs> where they can, you know, as they're waiting yeah. in the waiting room, all the dogs yeah. get to communicate together and um, you know, to give the, the owners of the dogs a sense of relief, like, okay, I'm not the only one struggling yeah. with my dog here. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm always equi- equating that to people, right? It's yeah. When you sit in the waiting room by yourself, waiting to get Holy. checked for something, it's like the longest hour of yes. your life. Yeah. Yeah. When you walk in the waiting room, it doesn't feel like you're at a vet office. It literally feels like you are at a Scandinavian lounge. Um, that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never been to one, but <laughs> it just feels like you are are um, in a different lounge. And yeah, you know the aesthetics are part of who we are as a brand. We just don't want it to feel like a vet office. Um, we want to make sure like people are just at ease. You know, if you walk in and just things are dirty, you know, it's not clean. Like it just puts you in a different mental perception as it does for the pet owner and as it does for the practitioner. So it's like you're walking into a Scandinavian lounge. There's a waiting room where, you, where the chairs and the seats actually feel comfortable, but you're also not sitting there for long um, right. because it's like we also work like clockwork where it's like whatever your appointment time is, like that's the time that we're essentially, you know, calling you in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's basically structured that way in mind where it's not supposed to feel like a sterile yeah. environment okay yeah. good so it smell, doesn't smell like medicine does not smell <laughs> and an interesting fact that i found out recently was like um one way they they put like the the dogs and the cats at ease is like they actually spray it with pheromones which are not detectable by us but they when they spray down the rooms it's supposed to lessen the anxiety in the pet oh, okay so when your pet walks in they're not like you know, they're not as anxious of like, why am I here? I can sense fear, all of those different things. The pheromones are also meant to sort of 
put them at ease. So yeah. we're designing it with with many stakeholders in mind, um, the pet, the owner, and then also the practitioner. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's primarily dogs and cats? Pri- yeah, small animals. Yeah, small Nobody animals, brings so their goldfish dogs, in. Dogs and cats, yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Nice. Yeah. So um, tell me this, we'll, we'll backtrack a little yeah. bit. Yeah, let's do it. Out of, of all of these positions that you've held, and yeah. you've held them for si- considerable amount yeah. of time because yeah. you've built products in there and you've gotten a lot of experience, what was your favorite and why? Yeah. Um, influential is close to my heart because I, I, I was there the longest and I saw it evolve across multiple stages. Um, what I really enjoyed the most there was the people management aspect of it and like scaling the team from two people to 15 people um, and still being like scrappy. So I think like it was also like my place to be able to finally adopt my style as a leader um, and being able to take interest in other what what others you know want to do in their career realizing that like a job is just so transactional but when you take interest into someone's career and they open up with you around hey this isn't my end goal you know this is just sort of like the stepping stone I think it makes it just so much better because like I feel like I can help them out more and I was just a it's just one of it was one of those experiences that are so special to me for that reason where I saw people grow in that time I also saw a lot of people like leave for better positions at that time and all of those things brought me joy and excitement because I felt like I was part of that journey I like that yeah nice it's 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 just I think it's incredible I know we just talked about dealing with animals but dealing with people yes. and really understanding where they're coming from and putting that level of empathy. Like these are all the transferable skills, right? That we totally. talked about things that no other job can replace. Like no matter where you go, no matter what brand you are, if you don't have those skill sets, it's just, it doesn't feel the same impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So TEDx. Yeah. I watched it a few years ago. Like it's been, it's been a while since you did yeah. it. What yeah. was the topic, and, and how did you feel? It was probably your first one that you was, did, right? Yeah. Um, how did you feel, and what was the topic? Yeah, so I we were talking about this, like, right before the, the podcast. Speaking is not – we've gotten good at it. <laughs> uh, college Hopefully, kind of yeah. prepped <laughs> us for it, yeah, where we had to, like, stand up in front of class and give presentations. You did a lot of that, I remember. We did a lot of that. <laughs> we did a lot of that. Um but it's not something that I, like, I enjoy doing it because in the process of articulating it, I'm now creating space where I'm understanding things a lot better for myself. Um, but there's a, it, it produces a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress for me. And so TEDx was basically, like, my attempt of how do I put myself through the scariest experience so that when I'm sitting in a boardroom with a CEO or a C-suite level executive, it doesn't bother me as much because I've now sat in a room with a thousand people who don't know me. And this is also broadcasted on, you know, it is gonna be broadcasted and it's gonna live on YouTube forever. I think after sitting through that experience, it was just meant for me to sort of desensitize and take the edge off of sitting in a boardroom. Nice. Did it um, work? <laughs> it did work. It did work. Because nothing ever, like, kind of, like, compared to that. I still get nervous, you know, obviously, um, depending on the topic or depending, like, if I have to, like, speak. Um, 
but it definitely did help take the edge off. And the, the topic itself was, at the time, like I had basically, I had accumulated around like um, two or so years working at Eisenberg. So working at on the agency side with dealing with large um, data sets. So essentially this was all consumer data. This was all just like how consumers were interacting with content. Um, it was essentially terabytes of data at the time that I had been sifting through. And I realized like within the company, there's like, or even like when you go to college, no one teaches you those skills around how do you analyze a data set? Like, how do you not make it for data sakes? But how do you just like, how do you analyze the data set? How do you put it into layman's terms in terms of what you've learned? Um, and how do you apply it to business? How do you apply it to business? Yeah, yeah, because so much of it can be so theoretical if yeah. you don't look at it from the right lens. But as I was getting into that and like really like reflecting on the question of like, okay, I got to come up with a TEDx topic. What am I good at? Like, okay, data. I started to realize that the problem is less so around people having uh, people's lack of analytical skills. They're actually, people are actually very intelligent and they do have a lot of curiosity. The problem is actually happening with what they choose to track and what they think is the right thing to track. And so that was essentially the concept of, of the TEDx talk. It was basically like, you know, if we are as business decision makers, if we get, if we're not looking at the right metrics and if we're not doing it for the right reasons, then everything has a downstream impact. Um, the example that I gave in the TEDx talk was um, essentially it's like at the time I had basically bought a car and of course, you know, a week after you buy the car, you get the survey. And it was like, you know, you're the, the dealer that you're working with is essentially like, hey, like, give me a 10. Like, please just give me all 10s. And of course, they did a, they, they did a great job. Like, they were a great dealer. Um, but there's things like that that, like, skew it, where it's like, is a survey, for example, the best way to track customer, you know, satisfaction and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So... It sent me down that rabbit hole, and that was what the TEDx was about. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that because I think if we if we actually had this meeting today with our management team, and we were talking about how we all learn management in college or even yeah. in high school a little bit, yeah. right? We take a couple of courses, and it's like the the concept of learning it in a classroom setting is literally if business was perfect everything is exactly as it should be there's good revenue you have the smartest employees there's no drama all of that then these theories will work right <laughs> and so that's never the case yeah. and so until you do practice and you find the why why are you doing this why is this business this way why is there drama like and yeah. you get into those weeds you realize as a manager or even like lead of anything even yeah. like analytical right yeah you're spending more time perfecting your environment before you even do the mm. actual job and I think that's really important so you find the why so you can do the job so you can get back to the why and actually see a result yeah and those are the main main things and same thing with analytics right yeah there's smart people out there you give them data they can create magic with it but for what yeah like, what is what is their north star yeah. over there right yeah so, so I like that's that such topic. a that's such a good point because yeah I, I would agree with you that in college the things in textbooks kind of like looking back at it now it kind of felt like it was just a petri dish experiment yeah whereas like in the real world you're dealing with people 
you're dealing with emotions. So, and sometimes the thing, the, the thing that I realized this past year is sometimes the things that we incentivize as leaders, we just get it wrong. Yeah. And so we start incentivizing the, you know, behaviors that pr- kind of put us further away from our goal rather than closer. And then it's just being, you know, also accountable for, for that decision and, and course correcting. But it's just so interconnected to your point. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So um, before we wrap up, yeah. uh, I always end our podcast with a riddle. I will say one, you can't answer it live with the podcast. So you'll answer it off after the fact so we can give our viewers a chance to answer yeah. it. So. So today's riddle is going to be, uh, and this is kind of, here's a hint, it's relevant-ish to this conversation, especially the beginning of it. What is the one word in the English dictionary that has three consecutive double letters? And with that, thank you for joining my podcast, Tavi, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, and it's great seeing you. Yeah, um, you too. And hopefully we don't have to do this every 10 years. We can <laughs> see each other more often. Yeah. But uh, everybody else, thank you for watching Level Up with Lilith. Have a great day. Thank you.